Independent Underground Radio Live, or IUPolitical, is fully owned and operated by ROJS Media, LCC. Any questions or concerns about the contents of this podcast can be addressed directly to webmaster at reachout.search.com. You are listening to independent artist 10,000 Slants. Don't beat me up. 
Um, it has been a very intense. That's a good way. Uh, yeah, I'll use that word. Intense. Um, last couple of weeks. And so, you know, I was dealing with some issues um, here uh, and where I live at. Um, and so with that, yeah, it was just, it was really kind of just flat out say it pretty impossible with all that to do a show last week. I was just kind of drained out. So either way, um, and then you did hear the replay that we did of the week prior of our interview with uh, Not Your Little Ladies. So yes, two weeks I'm back, folks, but I'm back in a place. Today is Wednesday, October 4th, 2017. I'm glad to be back on today's show uh, and, and sad. And, and the reason being is because we still have folks in uh, Puerto Rico, uh, American citizens, that's what they are, Trump, American citizens, uh, in Puerto Rico uh, that are still dealing with the uh, impacts and effects of, 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 of the hurricane, um, the last one being, uh, I believe, Maria, uh, and then... Um, the one that was before that, and so yeah, they, they're dealing with that, and, and still, I believe somewhere in the area, depending on what news reports say, um, seventy to fifty percent of the island is still, you know, without power, which is kind of crazy right now. Um, but then on Sunday night, late. Um, at least on West York time, which is East Coast time, it was still early out there on the um, in uh, uh, Nevada. Uh, we had a um, look white male terrorist. Okay, I don't want to hear this crap about the individual. Uh, he was crazed. Uh, he was he was sick in the head. Uh, 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 he was uh, lone wolf. I don't white male terrorist. Okay, because that's what he was. I decided to go on the. 30th floor of the Omni Bay Hotel in uh, Las Vegas, you know, the city that never sleeps, and basically take his rifles, as in plural, because he had 24 in a room, at least he probably used at least two or three of them, I'm assuming, and shoot at around 2,000 concert goers, concert goers, that's what I write, concert goers, there it is, concert goers that were attending a country music concert and he killed 58 of them and depending on the ever-changing numbers uh injured anywhere from the last number i just heard before coming onto the air was 489 to 527 people that number may continue to keep going up down but you can definitely say for sure he injured well over 450 people and killed 58 of them, including himself, which makes that 59. Um, there are anywhere up to in the uh, 30, again, 30, uh, uh, two floors up from the ground, uh, Omni Bay Hotel. He fired in that particular hallway over 200 rounds. They're suspecting, I don't even think they have a count. I would probably say fired up to 1,000 rounds at the people that were on the ground uh, or more uh, to uh, windows that were broke out of the hotel where this gunman was doing his shooting, this murder, this white male terrorist, uh, the, the, the person that caused themselves the leader of this country went to 
Las Vegas after going to Puerto Rico yesterday and throwing uh, paper towels at people. He did. Hey, I'm not making it up. He threw paper towels at those folks like they were, I don't even know. I don't know. Like they, like they're not going through a devastating event themselves and a catastrophe for their island and the, and the nation of Puerto Rico or the state of Puerto Rico territory. If you want to go there, because our part of the United States, I, you know, territory state of Puerto Rico. He, I guess he forgot that you know the best way to hand stuff to people is not throw it and use your hands in order to hand it to people. That was the day before today. Today, he, I don't know, maybe they gave him a um, um, a redolent or something. You know what I'm saying? You know, like if you have ADD, maybe they gave him that. Because he sounded very consoling in, 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 in Vegas. And, and, and that, you know, was needed from the person that calls themselves the leader of the United States. But it was also needed in Puerto Rico because, you know, when you call yourself the leader of the United States, that means you lead all, all of them, the, the states and U.S. associated territories, because all those people are Americans, you know, all of them. So, you know, he also compared what happened in Puerto Rico to Hurricane Katrina and was like, pretty much, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but that's what the so-called leader of the United States said, that, wow, y'all lucky I didn't have as many people die in Katrina in Puerto Rico during the two hurricanes that came your way. Really? Well, today, you know, again, you have a calm down pill or at least act like you're, you know, you have a heart. And so when he went to Las Vegas today, he did not start death numbers or comparing that to other tragedies that occurred with white male terrorists with a gun. I, you know, I, can we have Brock back? I mean, can we have Brock? I know he's not coming back, but I swear. Can we have Barack and Michelle back, please? I don't know what we would have to do to, you know, I don't even know. I guess like we change the Constitution or something. And it says that, you know, if the so-called leader of the United States is a complete and utter idiot, you can get the last real leader of the United States back. I mean, maybe, maybe that's what is needed. You know, get the whole two-thirds vote of the Constitutional Amendment and just put it in there. Just put it in the Constitution, like, ASAP. Because the person that calls themselves the leader of the United States is a straight embarrassment. The man is deplorable. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know if he's a Gemini. None of us, I know if folks listen to the show, they may be Gemini, sorry. But He's the worst example, if he is a Gemini, of a Gemini. You know, seriously. Worst example. You know, flip-flop like the weather. And then lie? Oh, my God. He has a, a, a pathological obsession with lying. And then just no empathy. 
I, I mean, today, like I said, they probably shot him up with something that said, look, if you can just read the notes we put in front of you and don't throw anything at the folks in, in, in Las Vegas, you'll be good. I mean, that's what I think it is. And then just have Melania stand there like she always does. Just stand there. Uh, if you can just manage to do that, and she was sitting in Puerto Rico. Uh, amazingly, I think that, you know, I hate to say it, but is that her? It's a disaster outfit, you know, the hat, gym shoes. You know, you can just wear blue jeans and stuff, and a shirt. Okay, moving on. But, you know, in the front, it, it, and see, when I, I almost say that word, it almost like twists my tongues and make my teeth fall out. The so-called leader of the United States, you know, he has a a now, which is sad, actually, because you shouldn't have this on deck, right? The, the, a, a, a disaster outfit, too. Like, it's black, um, uh, uh, old members-only jacket, but without the little collar that members-only used to have, and then a white shirt. And a hat. At least he didn't wear. Well, actually, you know, maybe he should have because he would have remembered. Yes, Puerto Rico is a USA territory. He wasn't wearing his USA hat when he went to Puerto Rico. He didn't wear it today when he went to uh, Vegas. Thank God. You know, better yet, just don't wear the hat. Everyone knows where they're at in the United States of America. Maybe you need to do some more studying on regards to all the states and territories. Yeah. Well, either way, I'm going to get off the rant. I am, but as you can tell, I was a little frustrated, just slightly. So on today's show, uh, we're definitely looking forward to welcoming on uh, Jeff Brown. Jeff Brown is the owner and editor and publisher of the Purple Wars Press. Yay! And he's going to come on and talk about basically um, the era of citizen journalism. I mean, and, and why it is so important in today's hyper uh, media environment. So we're definitely looking forward to Jeff coming on. He'll be coming on probably now because I went a little bit long that rant, my bad. Uh, probably at about like give or take around 9.25, 9.30-ish. And then after that, um, we're going to talk about some of the main stories for today. Uh, got a bunch of Michigan news and yeah, let's say that again, a bunch of Michigan news. So that's going to be coming up and that's going to in the second hour. But first we're going to play workers independent news. Uh, and that is not starting in the next five minutes or two minutes or, you know, uh, we might as well even say 30 seconds because it's about to start right now. You're listening to win workers independent news a diversified media enterprises production i'm doug cunningham the newark teachers union has won a big arbitration victory that awarded millions of dollars to hundreds of teachers the arbitrator decided that the state of new jersey violated a 2012 collective bargaining agreement by reneging on major provisions that the state had agreed to aft president randy weingarten said governor christie and his appointees really didn't care about respecting educators or making newark public schools better so they ignored the aspects of the then new contract that enabled teacher voice and professionalism. Newark Teachers Union President John Abigon. Oh, we were ecstatic when we got the news. We won five out of the seven grievances. That's pretty much in keeping with our success rate over the years. But more importantly, you know, we're happy for the members that are going to benefit from this. State of New Jersey must pay between 8 and $12 million to hundreds of Newark teachers. Those payments are expected to be paid out over the next several months. 
The International Brotherhood of Teamsters is working to mobilize truckers in Puerto Rico to deliver relief supplies that have piled up at the ports. Teamsters Local 901 in Puerto Rico, Joint Council 16, and the AFL-CIO are working together to determine how they can best assist the recovery effort. The Teamsters have denounced false reports online that Teamster truckers are refusing to move goods in Puerto Rico in a labor dispute. The union says that is totally false. Teamsters President Jim Hoffa says that our fellow Americans in Puerto Rico are suffering under unimaginable conditions brought upon them by Hurricane Maria. We're working, he said, to identify ways in which the union and our members can best assist those in need. Hundreds of Teamsters have volunteered to help the Puerto Rico recovery effort. The National Nurses United RN Emergency Response Program is deploying a team to Puerto Rico. They're joining a unique multi-union two-week disaster relief effort. Fifty RNs will join about 150 other volunteers in an AFL-CIO-led delegation boarding a flight Wednesday from Newark to Puerto Rico. The AFL-CIO is working with the Puerto Rican Federation of Labor and the San Juan Mayor's Office. Hospitals in Puerto Rico have been overwhelmed, and many doctors' offices and clinics are not open. The RNs in this delegation of union volunteers will focus on hospitals, nursing homes, and other sites based on immediate need for island residents. There's concern also about the outbreak of epidemics, cholera, and other diseases in the wake of the hurricane devastation and the crippling of services. Wynn is America's multimedia news voice for workers. I have a complaint with OSHA that is going up against Menards, and then I also have a complaint with the NLRB. Support Wynn's worker news mission at workersindependentnews.com. Wynn is brought to you in part by the Amalgamated Transit Union, the largest labor union representing transit and allied workers in the U.S. and Canada, online at atu.org. You've been listening to WIN, Workers Independent News. For more information, visit workersindependentnews.com. You're listening to WIN, Workers Independent News, a diversified media enterprises production. I'm Doug Cunningham. This is what unions do when people are in need, when our sisters and brothers are in need. We mobilize. We mobilize at the last second and make sure we're where we're, we're needed. And we also maintain good relationships with management that we can utilize um, all of that for the greater good. Association of Flight Attendants CWA spokesperson Taylor Garland speaking from San Juan, Puerto Rico, about unions and United Airlines coming together for Puerto Rico. More than 300 union first responders, doctors, nurses, electricians, Operating engineers, plumbers, iron workers, and utility workers flew into San Juan Wednesday to help with hurricane recovery. Puerto Rico residents evacuating due to the hurricane damage were on the return humanitarian flight. Garland says United Airlines CEO Oscar Munoz stepped up to join the unions in this humanitarian relief effort. The flight attendants, pilots, and the machinists reached out to Oscar Munoz, CEO, and they he answered the call and said, you know, we're going to make this happen. And so we were in constant communication for a little less than last week, and we were able to get the flight off the ground. October 5th is World Teachers Day. On a world level, unionized teachers are represented by Education International, which has 32 million members in 170 countries. EI's David Edwards tells Canada's Radio Labor that professional teachers in public education are under attack by a global market-driven reform movement. EI calls it the Global Education Reform Movement, or GERM. He says, here's what GERM 
is focused on. Market-based reforms, market-oriented reforms, has privatization. It heavily uses standardized tests as sort of the, the benchmark for what is quality, and it deprofessionalizes. It tends to, like I said before, it tends to play down the role of the teacher and uh, try to sort of script out and dictate what teachers should do. Union teachers are often in the crosshairs of so-called reform movements with their professional status, salaries, benefits, and role in education all under pressure. And Edwards says conditions for teachers are deteriorating around the world as a result of this movement. We've been seeing tendencies around flexibilization and casualization. We've been seeing continued pressure in terms of the outsourcing of teachers' work. So I'd have to say it's probably been deteriorating over the, the past year in, in many places. For the most part, the, the global education reform movement, which tends to see teachers as just mere content deliverers, is still going forward. WIN is America's multimedia voice for workers. Support WIN's news mission at workersindependentnews.com. You've been listening to WIN, Workers Independent News. For more information, visit workersindependentnews.com. Welcome back to Independent Underground Radio Live. Again, this is your host, Monica R.W. As we talked about in the lead-in, we're uh, going to be interviewing uh, Jeff Brown. Now, he is a, a, a um, I will say, a journalist, a, a citizen blogger, uh, and he owns what's called the Purple Wars Press. And it, it talks about various uh, issues that's been going on across the state of Michigan. Uh, the Weeby does a lot of coverage of Eastern Michigan University football. And with that, we're going to go ahead and welcome Jeff onto the show. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing today? Hi, Monica. Great. Thanks so much for, uh, for having me on today. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, I wanted to take a couple of minutes and, and, and give you um, an opportunity uh, to uh, uh, say hello. And then, I, of course, I wanted to make sure that the audience knows who you are. So just a real quick, we're going to go ahead and read your bio. Uh, you grew up in Flint, Michigan and graduated from Flint Central High School in 1981 uh, and have a bachelor's degree in English Lit. Uh, and from Eastern Michigan University, which makes sense why you cover so much EMU football. Uh, and he ha- you said you have the great privilege of working with Michael Moore as a staff writer for his news publication, The Flint Voice, uh, when you were in high school. And you moved from Flint to Ipsy with your wife in 2004. You now have two fantastic kids and founded the Purple Wars Press in 2012. Well, uh, now, is there anything that I left out of your bio that you would like our audience to know? Well, that, that, that yeah, pretty well, uh, you know, covered my background. Um, yeah, Flint's my hometown. Um, very proud to be from Flint. Uh, grew up there and, and uh, you know, learned a lot uh, about journalism uh, through working with Michael Moore and his uh, Flint Voice newspaper. This is back before he was, years before he was famous. Uh, so you know, back mm-hmm. when I was in high school, and uh, you know, growing up in Flint, really, um, you know, it was an interesting experience, and uh, right. really shaped a lot of my, you know, my, a lot of my my political views, and and uh, understandable. Definitely, definitely. 
So, okay, so I got to ask you this question, right? I mean, first of all, I mean, this is a great great journalism uh, entry to say that you worked with Michael Moore, for sure. Uh, So what had got you started? I know, um, obviously, you know, you have a degree in English Lit, but what had made you made the caddies of the decision uh, to start uh, the Purple Wars Quest? Well, really, Monica, you're going to have to go back to, uh, you know, I think, you know, growing up in Flint and, uh, you know, working with Michael Moore, you know, again, I was in high school. Um, uh, he, a teacher, asked uh, Michael Moore to come uh, speak to uh, our class. And this is during the, the, uh, kind of the beginning of the, the No Nuke movement that began kind of in, the, in 1979, 1980. Okay. And, um, you know, met uh, Michael, eventually joined the writing staff of The Voice, and I guess that was such an interesting, you know, experience for me uh, back then that, you know, years later, you know, something I think about a lot and reflected on. And uh, in 2012, I thought, you know, I'd really like to do something, um, you know, similar to that and mm-hmm. decided, you know, start my own publication, kind of inspired by um, those few years in high school, you know, working uh, with the Flint Voice. And, you know, I've always had strong political views and uh, always felt comfortable, um, you know, expressing myself through writing, you know, writing about uh, issues and you always enjoyed writing. And, right. uh, and that kind of inspired me to start, you know, Purple Walrus, really my experience with the Flynn voice, uh, you know, way back, oh, yeah. way back then. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay, so um, Purple Wars. I got to ask you. Okay, how did you come up with that name? Because it's it's a it's a, um, <clears throat> it's a catchy title. <laughs> it's catchy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, there's mm-hmm. a little bit of a story. So, you know, my dad uh, was a small business owner in downtown Flint back in the '60s and '70s, and he used to get it's a little bit of a little long-winded story, but. Uh, uh, so he used to get football tickets for Michigan games. Uh, you know, being a a businessman, he would somehow get you know managed to get football tickets for games down here in, right. down in Ann Arbor. And he used to come down with my dad. We used to come down. We used to find you know, go to some uh, interesting like local you know coffee shops, local restaurants, things are kind of off the beaten path in Ann Arbor. And as okay. a kid, as a little kid. We used to see, you know, you'd see these really interesting, um, like, political publications around, like, uh, in like early 70s, you know, things like the, you know, Rainbow People's, you know, revolutionary, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, interesting kind of, you know, uh, political, you know, publications that were, were put out by students. And uh, I'd pick them up, and my dad would say, hey, should, we'll take, you know, take one of those home. So. Right. When I started Purple Walrus, I kind of wanted to have a little bit of a, maybe a retro sound to it, something catchy, a little different, something that kind of harkened back a little bit to those, uh, you know, political publications that came out, okay. you know, around Ann Arbor, Nipsey, you know, back in those days. Just to be, you know, something, you know, catchy sounding. Yeah. And also yeah, being a, yeah. You know, I'm a big Beatles fan, uh, mm-hmm. old Jimi Hendrix fan, you know, Purple Haze. The Jimi Hendrix song, uh, I Am the Walrus, you know, the uh, Beatles song. And so I thought, well, that sounds kind of, you put those together and uh, there you go. That's, that's the story there. 
Okay. Well, that, that, well, that definitely uh, makes sense of why it is a catchy name then, <laughs> for sure. Um, okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. So what type of stories uh, for you know, listeners? Like what type of stories uh, you cover at the Purple Wars Press? Uh, what type of uh, journalism do you write in order to gain uh, readership and interest of, of the perp- of the people who, who follow your publications? Well, really, you know, Triple Walrus, you know, I tried to, um, you know, highlight and focus on stories that, um, you know, shine a light on issues, news stories that might be missed in the larger mainstream, uh, you know, local media. Um mm-hmm. So, although when I first started Purple Walrus Press in 2012, it's, kind of, it's been through a couple of different incarnations. Um, when I first started it, um, you know, I had, you know, I'd kind of would focus on kind of unusual stories that I thought were newsworthy but weren't getting much attention. Mm-hmm. And that, then, uh, um, with that, I'd, you know, I'd sprinkle in um, a little political satire. Um, uh, like political cartoons um, mixed in with some kind of unusual um, yet you can you know newsworthy stories. So there's a you know a fair amount of like political you know satire um, in Purple right. Walrus, um, and it came out um, actually in print edition. Um, so it's kind of kind of old school, in actual mm-hmm. you know, um, paper form, and then I eventually moved it on to. Uh, you know, online and okay, became a little yeah, became a little more um, issue driven. I kind of dropped the uh, the political you know cartoons, kind of dropped some of the satire. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, and had, like one of the one of the first stories actually then you know, started a website around that time after about five uh, issues of the the print edition um, started okay. the website. And one of my you know, first articles, um, was, you know, just online, was the uh, Willow Run um, explaining school uh, school merger. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Mhm, mhm. So that was a you know a pretty um, you know big thing going on here locally. Um, so that you know the Willow Run the the merger I thought was. Uh, you know, handled you know poorly by the school district. Um, mm. There's a lot of unhappy teachers. Um, I think a lot of teachers are you know being treated unfairly. Um, so I just I went you know attended uh, school board meetings and covered okay. that. You know, there's a lot of unhappy parents and uh, and again I thought teachers were not treated well during that merger, and that really put Purple Walrus kind of on the map locally. Um, okay. By doing that coverage, that kind of Sparked a you know, pretty wide you know readership again you know locally Ypsilanti Ann Arbor right and mm-hmm. uh, so that's you know that's an example of um, kind of focusing on or you know, showing a perspective that wasn't being portrayed again in the in the mainstream media right and, so and the, I guess you know, do you do you feel like you you give coverage um, two stories right. Um, that maybe the uh, local news resource uh, does does not give, and and that is like um, why uh, readers 
um, are attracted to your 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 publication, your resource, Pub for Wars, um, because they're they're you know obviously a, a lot of local uh, uh, or even I guess you could say local papers, etc. Um, they have cut staff a lot, um, and with that, with mm-hmm. the, uh, their their story qualities have kind of decreased. Is a good way to say it, and they don't cover a lot of the important stories uh, on a local basis. So, you, do you feel like your paper takes up the gap? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, that that really nails it. That's, I think that's that's what I'm trying to do. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of stories. <clears throat> yeah, do kind of, you get especially in Ypsilanti, I think um, get skipped over. And again, I think you know, it's due to the fact that, um, like you said, you know, there's been a lot of cutbacks with you know in Arbor News. They have they downsized mm-hmm. a lot 10, 15 years ago. Media has changed a lot. Um, I think not just locally, but you know all over the country. So mm-hmm. I feel like there's definitely a void to fill. Um, so again, yeah, like the school merger, again, that wasn't, the way that was, you know, being covered was that things were going fine. But, so that, I mean, that was being covered, but um, I think I showed a different perspective to that story. Maybe, yeah, I was going to say, maybe it didn't present the whole perspective of that particular uh, event at that well, time. Well, there you go. Right. I okay. mean, definitely you'd once, you know, um, one perspective that things are going well. Um, I went in a couple of board meetings. I could, you know, could tell that there's a lot of unhappy teachers and parents. And uh, I thought, wow, okay, there's a whole, there's some other issues going on here. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's one thing. But also, again, like you say, there's, you know, um, a lot of issues get, I think, get missed, um, particularly in Ypsilanti. Mm-hmm. Um, like one, you know, an example, the, uh, oh, the blank, the, the town center place apartments, downtown Ypsilanti. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The, yeah. Yeah. High rise senior complex. Um, last year, uh, you know, there's an issue with, um, you know, the elevators weren't working and there was a cleanliness issue in that building. And I had gotten an anonymous tip about that, that things were not, um, that there are big issues at that. Uh, town center place apartments. So I mm-hmm. went down there and you know spoke to residents, made some you know phone calls, and found out that there's this you know huge um, problem there with you know um, either a high rise with seniors, elevators aren't working. Uh, oh, people, that's people couldn't get their yeah couldn't get their um, medications delivered uh, up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's something I'm proud of. So I went, you know, spoke to some residents, actually called the, uh, the management, which I believe was in Cleveland to, you know, you know, let them know that this is what I'm hearing about the building they, they own. And, yeah. uh, that did not get it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, that was, um, I think I was the first publication, I believe to, to cover that. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so the, yeah, so then, right. So that was being that was missed. That wasn't being that didn't you know wasn't being picked up. <clears throat> um, right. Uh, you know, as far as I know, uh, by some of the larger publications. So that you know that you mm-hmm. know that made me feel good to shine a light on on that issue. Um, mm-hmm. Eventually, to get more media attention. Um, so, so yeah. So you know, at times I try and provide a different perspective. Um, to, you know, issues that you know, might be in the news, but also I try, you know, if I can, you know, I, I have you know, broken stories and 
you know, cover events. Um, again, you know, Ypsilanti, Ann Arbor, mostly Ypsilanti, um, whether it's political events, uh, right. debate, debate forums, um, uh, you know, cry, I get press releases uh, from the Ipsy Police Department, so if there's something, you know, God forbid, a, a homicide or some, a crime, I'll report on on that. So it's pretty, you know, these days, you know, Purple Walrus went from being, um, you know, kind of issue-driven, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of left of center um, social mm-hmm. issues, to now, I think I'm a, you know, a place I really like with Purple Walrus Press. It's um, the past couple of years, the format. Is, has widened so everything from local crime to uh events okay. to like you said like i'm a big emu you know emu alum um big mm-hmm. supporter of eastern and uh, so i cover you know as many sporting events as i can you know for one thing you know here's you know emu <clears throat> as a you know, a, you know mid-major university division one football team you know big time okay. football um and it drives me bananas. Uh, often, you know, there'll be a, a big Eastern game. You know, Eastern beat Rutgers uh, okay. two weeks ago. Okay, that's right. And yeah, that's think, awesome. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. And uh, yeah, there's a lack of coverage in some of the other, excuse me, local, you know, mainstream media. I think being so close to Ann Arbor, you know, and uh, Michigan football, which is also great, but um, mm-hmm. you know, Eastern gets flipped over, and uh, you know, it's frustrating for us, uh, you know. Uh, Eastern alums. Uh, a, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, it's like, wait so, a minute, we're college too. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hold on. So, um, so I try and you know, uh, yeah, cover, um, you know, Eastern uh, athletics. So, you know, kind yeah, kind of a variety of, uh, you know, variety of uh, of topics. So. Well, that's awesome. Um, so. I got to ask you this. What do you think? Why do you think uh, citizen um, journalism, uh, uh, blogging, uh, uh, telling the stories that people may not know otherwise, um, why do you feel like that is so important um, in, in our society today where um, you have different uh, types of news, and I put that in air quotes, um, that, that, and you can call it Fox News, you can call it uh, uh, news that, that tries to um, slant a reader towards a certain absolute opinion, uh, and sometimes uh, inside of that particular article, it may be information in there that is totally bogus. Um, mm-hmm. But why? Why do you think it's so important to have uh, you know citizen journalism, uh, uh, real uh, uh, news uh, uh, to folks to read and disseminate and learn information? So I guess the the Cross to that question: Why do you think that citizen journalism is important? Well, well, that's that's a great question. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's so important. You know, it's interesting. You know, I think about this a lot with, with uh, Purple Lotus Press. You know, like originally, I was you know, like in 2012, the first six issues that came out in only print. Um, maybe that first year, I was writing, you know, covering events. And putting my, you know, with my perspective in there, my like whether mm-hmm. it's like again, I keep mentioning the Willow Run Nipsey merger, but I was writing opinionated, you know, on purpose. You know, I was writing intentionally opinionated news, you know, articles. I mean, covering events and then sticking my my perspective in there. Uh, and you're saying, like you just said, that's there's an issue with that. Every you know, every news outlet these days, it's like you can people can pick and choose their news based on news that they agree with. So 
which, mm-hmm. which, which bothers me. So, I mean, again, this is part of the, the way Purple Morris has evolved. Um, so then you know, I started thinking, wow, you know, I, in the past couple of years, I decided you know, a couple of years ago to, to really um, take my, my opinion out of Purple Walrus and just, okay. uh, and just try and get to the, the, the truth. So maybe that's the, mm-hmm. the key word. What is, what is happening? What is the truth here? And, you know, the truth can be, you know, that can be tricky to get to the truth. So I, yeah. I really got tired of hearing myself in my articles. <laughs> and, again, like, you know, two years ago I thought, well, I'm just going to start, um, you know, covering events, providing different perspectives, you know, just report on what's happening, um, uh, you know, you know, get both points of view. Don't just have one perspective in there. Just get a, you know, a couple of different perspectives and just report on what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, and um, taking any slant I might have um, okay. out of it. Um, because, you know, I'm not sure, what to, you know, media today, again, like as you alluded to, especially on television, you have, uh, you know, people get their news or, or online. They want to hear, they want to have their own beliefs backed up. They want to, right, it's almost like a confirmation bias. They want to have their own confirmation bias justified. Exactly. Well, that's ex- exactly right. So, <laughs> I you know I kind of miss the old days in a way when I was growing up. I mean, you know, when I was growing up in the seventies, whatever late late sixties, seventies. Um, you know, you had you know three different. You had only three three or four networks, and um, I'm sure there was you know of course bias issues back then, but. Um, you didn't get the opinion. You just got basically this, you know, news. And right. now right. it's very complicated. It's like, my gosh, you know, if you are a conservative Republican, you can get your news from, you know, from Fox. If you're, mm-hmm. you know, liberal, it's MSNBC. And, you know, um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a liberal Democrat, but I really want to hear other points of view. I don't want to just get my news from, from, you know, sources that I, uh, that I know I'm going to agree with. So I really, I'm, I'm I want totally to, I want, mm-hmm. yeah, thanks. I mean, I really want to get, you know, um, hear the other side thinks, or um, even if I disagree, I don't want to be in my own little, I think silo is the term people people use. I don't mm-hmm. want to be in my own little personal, you know, news silo. I want to hear, yeah, I really want to hear the truth. And that seems to be really hard to get to these days is, you know, the truth. So, that inspired me, <clears throat> you know, I think all this division, um, you know, they were, were so, I think, horribly polarized uh, as a country, even more so than the 60s. Um, I would agree. It's not good. People don't even, we can't talk to each other. I mean, it, you know, it seems like, uh, I, I really even hate to label myself uh, politically. Um, I may have always been, you know, liberal, but in a way, you know, um, I, I want to be able to talk to people from different uh, points of view. Um, we should we should be able to talk to each other, people, whether it's you know, Republicans and Democrats, without being worried of uh, you know being negatively maligned in some way. So I guess I translated that or transferred that into Purple Walrus. Again, I, I decided to um, you know, like I just said, you know, take my perspective out and just have, you know, um, discover, you know, just report on what I'm seeing. 
I, you know, I will say, you know, I mean, I've been, I do, I've been covering a lot of the protests. I mean, any anti-Trump protests, I guess here's a little bias on my part, to be honest. I, okay. I do shine a light on, you know, um, I don't put my point of view in, but I'll cover um, any like demonstrations that are uh, more progressive, you know, um, human rights or anti-Trump well, demonstrations. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure yeah, those get coverage. I don't think that's necessarily, I guess you could say, uh, slanting the news one way or another. I think that's basically mm-hmm. covering the news of the moment. Um, and, 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 I mean, right now, obviously, uh, uh, there is a lot of angst to say the very least in regards to, uh, the person that's in the White House as a leader, um, uh, named Trump, uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 it, and it, it's, it's, um, perpetrating throughout our society, uh, in various ways because people do not know how to, uh, react. To his his actions and 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 tweets and 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 um, I guess you could even say uh, over the top is a good way to say it behavior and antics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I you know I can just say from our from our end it, it, covering that is news covering what people are feeling and how they're expressing their thoughts and opinions uh, about the person in the White House. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you know, covering it with a bias. What's your thoughts about that? Well, it's good. I appreciate that, Monica. Because <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're right, and that 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 makes sense. And I, you know, I uh, appreciate hearing that. One one area, you know, one you know, uh, news topic where I I don't hold back, and I even during the past couple of years, I have put my two cents in many of the articles. Mm-hmm. Is, is the Flint water crisis? So there, I oh have, definitely. So that's I've reverted only you know with that topic covering I try and as much as I can from down in Ypsilanti I, I you know try and you know as you know um, stay on top of what's going on in Flint um, you know this appalling devastating you know horrible water crisis um, you know I um, try and learn from sources uh, up there um, as much as I can about what's going on there there you know that is the only this this issue I have. I do chime in and, uh, you know, put in my views, which are emotional because I'm you know, emotionally, you know, connected to Flint. Um, Understandable. So those, yeah, those, so that's where I have, you know, reverted uh, to the old purple walrus, which was, you know, uh, very opinionated. I, I do <clears throat> put my opinion uh, as far as that, you know, topic with, you know, you've got a state of Michigan who, in my opinion, have you know, allowed the you know the entire city to be uh, to drink poison water. You know, um, it's a complicated issue uh, in some ways, but the bottom line is that is a, you know a horrific tragedy. Is yeah, you agree it, it is. It is shocking. And, 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 yeah. and I have to ask you, especially being a, a Flint native. Um, and I know you say you obviously you don't live in Flint now, but I'm sure you still have family, mm-hmm. may go visit very mm-hmm. often. Um, mm-hmm. What what are you, what are your um, how do you feel about this situation? And, and particularly, um, do you think Flint will recover? Uh, I mean, it's such a devastating uh, crisis uh, still you know, going on into the third year, almost fourth year. 
Um, mm-hmm. To say the governor was asleep at the wheel is is an understatement. Uh, what? How do you feel? Do you feel that Flint could will ever recover from that devastating crisis? Um, you know, I want to be optimistic because I mm-hmm. am, you know, such a supporter of Flint, and um, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you look at, you know, when when I was a kid, when I was growing up, um, you know, Flint was a boom town. General Motors, mm-hmm. you know, my my dad had this, you know, small, you know, clothing store, and uh, I remember sidewalk sales. It was a thriving. People, it's hard for people to imagine that. You know, bookstores great record stores. And then you had General Motors, um, you know, you know, pulling out, you know, pulling out of the city, you know, by the late 70s, early 80s, you know, General Motors pulled the rug, you know, pulled the rug out and see, I mean, and, you know, leaving thousands of people jobless, people, you know, generations in Flint who counted on working in the auto industry people I grew up with, I'm from the east side of Flint, you know, people I grew up with, a lot of people, you know, counted on jobs when I was in high school, you know, uh, uh, working in, in the in the factory. Um, so you had that issue. I mean, Flint was all, my, my point is, you know, Flint was already struggling. You had the, from the, you know, the layoffs was, you know, beautifully portrayed by Michael Moore's, you know, Roger and Me uh, movie, you know, right. 10 years after I worked with him. So you had Flint, you know, struggling in the 80s and in the 90s um, already was hurting um, a lack mm-hmm. of industry. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, so on top of that, you know, then you have this water crisis, um, you know, on top of the uh, issues that are already, you know, happening in the, in the city. Um, so on top of that, then you have the water crisis, which drove, you know, I mean, talk about driving down real estate. Um, right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, mean, I heard you can get homes in Flint for $5,000. That is incredible. Yeah. Well, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up, you know, I, I grew up in the city and you know, I grew up on the, on the Flint's east side, but right, you know, like uh, a stone's throw from downtown Flint. There's some, you know, very, uh, some very pretty houses over there. Um, and those homes are going, it's shocking for what, you know, in my old neighborhood <clears throat> in the city, um, what they're going for now. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 for some real, you know, uh, even for, you know, for some, for some larger homes. Um, so uh, I, I don't, you know, yeah, I, I, I want to say that it'll bounce back. Um hmm and uh, I think I'm going to stick with that. I think, it, you know, people are, are strong. It sounds cliche, but, I mean, people in Flint have gone through a lot, are, are strong um, people, uh, and I think we'll, we'll bounce back. Um, you know, if I can see, I do go up there. My, yeah, I have family up there. Um, I go up there once a week. I take my kids up there mm-hmm. as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, there's some neat, there's some nice, uh, neat new things in downtown Flint, some interesting new restaurants and like brew pubs, you know, these more trendier okay. uh, things right downtown, like on Saginaw street, Harrison street, um, right downtown. There's some, you know, some neat things going on. Uh, good. Couple good restaurants on blank, but the neighborhoods, so that's great. Some of the surrounding neighborhoods, you know, 
are, are devastated. Um, wow. You know, I, don't, I don't see improvement. So there's improvement right downtown. I don't see it in the neighborhoods. Um, and that's where it needs to be. I mean, honestly, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. just going to say, you know, yeah, it's great to have a good restaurants downtown, but if no one can mm-hmm. afford in the neighborhoods to go there, um, it's Thank pretty you. much yeah. just a facade, you know. Well, that's it. So I, I think, you know, I think it can bounce back, but it's complicated, and uh, mm-hmm. they need to dig up all the, you know, um, the mayor, uh, uh Weaver had uh, this fast start initiative of, um, I think it's a great initiative to have all this, all the city, all the water lines, service lines replaced in the city. Mm-hmm. That seems to be slowing down, and I think that's a problem. I, you know, we need to see all those, um, all the pipes, all the service lines dug up, not just some of them, you know, not half of them, but um, all and, of them. Uh, maybe all of them, and then maybe we can work on um, re- rebuilding. You know the city. Or, you know, getting. Wow. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm so sorry to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We continue to, um, you know, support the people of Flint throughout this way too long fight. Um, and thank you for speaking so um, eloquently as a as a as a uh, a native of Flint and someone who who deeply cares about the city, um, about what uh, the people are going through. I definitely, you definitely here appreciated at Independent Underground. Um, uh, last question. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, where do you see um, Purple Wars Quest in like the next five years or so? Ah, oh boy. Um, I want to, you know, I'd like it to grow. I mean, I'm, you know, the last couple of years, um, you know, the, the readership has increased uh, a lot of, you know, pretty, you know, after five years of doing this, basically a pretty strong readership. Um, I think it's definitely on the radar, you know, locally, you know, Ipsy and Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. Um, I do cover, you know, statewide issues too. Yeah, I want to mention real quick a couple of people who, who also write for my publication. Bob Resch uh, does articles. It's, you know, mostly me, but I do have uh, Bob Resch who does local articles. Um, a buddy of mine I grew up with, one of my best friends, uh, grew up in the east side of Flint with uh, Brooks Parola, contributes a lot of uh, strong political opinion, and my uh, buddy Chai Montgomery um, in Ann Arbor who did all the layout uh, when the, for okay. the print edition. But as far as, you know, I'd like to reach, you know, try and reach a broader audience. Um, uh, I'd like to increase the staff, <laughs> get more people to, uh, you know, more contributors. That I'd, would love to be able to compensate uh, writers who, who write for Purple Laws Press um, in the future. Um, so I'd like to, you know, to grow it and increase the readership. And I'd love to increase the staff. There's a lot going on. Um, also, you know, I wonder if I could, uh, you know, I actually want to thank the um, University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. They, uh, okay. There's a there's a um a, a lady a, a woman Lisa Mackman who's the intern coordinator at U of M for the English department. She contacted me uh, about five months ago asking if um, if uh, Purple Walrus Press would be willing to take on U of M students as interns. Oh, good. She, oh great! That's that really neat. Awesome. I, I was flattered that they you know uh, that they contacted me and. Uh, I was invited to speak to some English students over there, over at Angel Hall, about 25 students, along with Jim McBee, the editor of the Ann Magazine, and my friend um, 
Ben Connor Berry, uh, who uh, mm-hmm. edits uh, Dam Arbor. Three of us give a little talk over there, you know, um, to students, you know, young people who are interested in journalism, and that's great. So I feel like that is, you know, helping to grow Purple Waters Press, and uh, um, I really appreciate that they, you know, approached me about having U of M students as interns. I was, you know, wow, flattered. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's an example. I'd like to see, um, yeah, more of that. People um, interning and uh, with Purple Walrus, um, and you know, you know, increasing the increasing the readership would be uh, is kind of the goal. So. Yeah, well, it sounds like the future is bright for uh, the Purple Wars Press and, and uh, as owner and editor. I know you have to be very proud of, of a concept that you started, what, now five years ago and, and how it has expanded yeah. and and the importance that it gives to uh, local journalism and journalism uh, and stories, articles uh, that people need to know that's not been adequately covered. So, um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, one more question. Where can people find out more information about the Purple Wars Press? Do you have a Twitter, or social media, or how can they connect them with you? Uh, okay, yeah, you can go to um, uh, you know the website, um, you know, purplewalvispress.com. Um, uh, you can also find Purple Wars Press on on Twitter by looking up, you know, okay. Purple Wars Press. And there's a Purple Wars Press Facebook page. Yeah, I think a lot of readers, you know, these days, a lot most readers come across Purple Walrus um, on Facebook, uh, which is mm-hmm. great. That's awesome. But um, you know, articles get shared on various groups and all that. But yeah, people can go directly to the to the website <clears throat> at purplewalruspress.com, and uh, okay. Yeah, on Twitter, it's actually Purple Walrus P on Twitter. Is how you can find it. Okay, Purple Walrus P. <laughs> okay, got you. <Yeah. laughs> So yeah, so people can find you on Twitter. Yeah, that'll be great. Yeah, because right. Twitter is the is the thing That's now. The thing. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning that. I'm learning about social media. Yeah. So. Yeah, understandable. So there you go. Well, Thank you, Jeff. Well, thank you for your time and coming on to Independent Underground Radio Live. I think our listeners uh, today have really learned more about uh, the importance of of a citizen journalism. And, and covering uh, stories that uh, may not or will, or in some cases, in, in the case of maybe even uh, hyper-local, will not uh, get any coverage uh, inside of the uh, uh, local news resources. And and uh, we appreciate what you do uh, over at Purple Wars Press. And I can tell you, we'll continue to read, and we will uh, encourage our listeners to read also uh, if they are not already. So thank you so much for the interview today, and we appreciate your time. Uh, now, we're going to continue to listen in. Uh, we're going into commercials, and then after that, we'll start our, I might as well say, second hour of Independent Underground Radio Live. Uh, you can call in 347-934-0185, 347-934-0185. You can let us know what you thought about Jeff's interview. Uh, give us a tweet at IU News Talk. Uh, there, uh, did I say that? Yeah, sometimes I get it wrong, folks. I'm still getting over the fact we changed our Twitter handle. At IU Radio <laughs> Network. Again, at IU Radio Network. You can also uh, leave us a comment on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com. IU Radio Network. So we'll be right back in just a moment and continue to listen in to Independent Underground Radio Live. 
www.advancedautooffer.com forward slash IU radio network. Again, www.advancedautooffer.com forward slash IU radio network to save 20% off of your first order. And make sure that you put in AAT20 cash for the savings. Now, did you know that Advanced Auto Parts have been in business over 75 years and has helped the nation's do-it-yourselfers fix their vehicles? Advanced Auto Parts is also your source for quality auto parts, advice, and accessories. So go ahead and get your 20% off today of your first order at advancedautooffer.com forward slash IU Radio Network. And make sure you put in the code AAT20CAST for your 20% savings. It's Tuesday, October 3, 2017. I am begging anyone that can hear us to save us from dying. Humanitarian crisis remains dire in Puerto Rico. Scale up. They need to scale up in Puerto Rico. Katrina had 20,000 federal troops. And Puerto Rico is bigger than Katrina. U.S. military begins to step up its disaster response. Trump attacks San Juan mayor on Twitter from his golf club in New Jersey. Plus, General Motors announces it will start making more electric cars. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comments. I have no reaction. The the mayor's living on a cot, and uh, I, I hope the president have a good day at golf. That sounds like a reaction to me, General Honoré, man who saved New Orleans after Katrina. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, with the horrible events in Las Vegas, I'm concerned that Puerto Rico uh, may fall off the radar of the uh, corporate media right now. How are things going down there? Well, they are improving somewhat in the wake of the destruction wrought by Hurricane Maria. The situation remains dire for hundreds of thousands of U.S. citizens, with distribution of aid remaining the biggest problem for the island. U.S. President Donald Trump is set to give remarks in Puerto Rico later today. Journalists who have managed to reach the island's remote interior villages report that residents say they still have not seen any government relief operations nearly two weeks after the hurricane destroyed the island's infrastructure and communications. The Department of Defense has now revised upwards the number of Puerto Rico lacking access to clean water. It's about 54 percent, a little over 1.6 million people. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is now in Puerto Rico to begin restoring the electric grid transmission lines. On Friday, the mayor of San Juan, Carmen Yulín Cruz, gave another impassioned plea for the federal government to escalate its response and cut through bureaucratic red tape. So I am done being polite. I am done being politically correct. I am mad as hell. Because my people's lives are at stake. 
That received an unprecedented response from U.S. President Donald Trump. Tweeting from his golf resort in Bedminster, New Jersey over the weekend, Trump attacked the mayor and the U.S. citizens of Puerto Rico as, quote, ingrates who, quote, expect everything to be done for them. And just to be clear, uh, Mayor Cruz has been spending the last two weeks wading through hip-deep water with waders on, trying to reach her constituent, trying to save lives uh, with a bullhorn. You heard General Honore there, who was uh, the general who came in after Katrina to, to clean up that mess, criticizing these obnoxious tweets from Donald Trump. I don't even know what to say at this point anymore. Well, the U.S. military commander who has been appointed to lead this emergency response, Lieutenant General Jeffrey Buchanan, is now in Puerto Rico. In an interview with CNBC, he agreed with Mayor Cruz's dire assessment after seeing the destruction for himself, saying he will need more troops and more equipment. Uh, do you think that we've turned a corner now on logistics, that, th- that this is the tip of the iceberg? Uh, I, I, I'd be hesitant to say that. Our capacity is growing, but that doesn't mean that, that we're getting all the right help to the people who need it. So I guess Lieutenant Jeffrey Buchanan, by Donald Trump's definition, hates the troops and the first responders as well. Private companies have also stepped up to help. Tesla, which owns solar panel and battery storage maker SolarCity, has sent hundreds of solar panels, home-sized battery storage systems, and installation teams to help restore electricity, repair damaged solar panel systems, and install new ones. German company Sonnen says it will also be installing local microgrids in Puerto Rico to help restore emergency emergency operations around the island. Hurricane Maria exposed the vulnerability of centralized electric grids with overhead transmission lines, and that has spurred talk of rebuilding the island's electric grid to accommodate more renewable energy in a decentralized system, including community microgrids. Tom Rogers, a renewable energy expert in Britain, told the Washington Post that utility executives on several battered Caribbean islands that he has spoken to told him, quote, they would prefer to rebuild using distributed generation with storage, just trying to reduce the amount of transmission lines. Finally, some surprising news. On Monday, American car maker General Motors became the latest auto manufacturer to announce that it is making a push into electric cars with at least 20 all-electric models by 2023. Auto industry analysts say the move was forced in part by China, which recently announced it will set a timetable for the complete phase-out of the sale of conventional gasoline and diesel cars within its borders. China intends to be the world leader in electric vehicle sales and manufacturing, and GM needs to keep up. Well, it takes a while, but American auto companies are maybe figuring it out. You figured it out, Desi Doyen, long ago. Thank you for that. For much more on all our stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Welcome back to the second hour of Independent Ground Radio Live. That was a great interview with Jeff Brown of the Perfect Purple War Express. And you can actually connect with Jeff. Uh, number one, you can go in and just put on your, you know, Google, uh, purplewarspress.com. Again, purplewarspress.com. Or you can follow him on Twitter 
at, let me make sure I have it correct here. Let me see. I think it's purple. Yeah. Hold on for a second. Because, you know, I just like to make sure I have people's uh, Twitter handle correct. I think it's Purple Wars P. Yes. Uh, yes, on Twitter at Purple Wars P. Okay. So that's another place that you can follow Jeff. I think it was a great interview. Look forward to having him come back on in the future. And uh, talk about, you know, obviously more of uh, the role of a citizen journalist in this, in this land of hypermedia uh, media, you know. I mean, we just had Facebook and, and, and Twitter uh, admit that both of them uh, was uh, selling ads targeting Wisconsin and Michigan uh, as selling ads to Russians. To that targeted Wisconsin and Michigan, and particularly uh, for the election. If you go back and you think about, especially here in Michigan, what the election was won by, I think it was like less than 11,000 votes, uh, the state of Michigan, between Hillary Clinton and, and, and the so-called leader of the United States. Um, yeah, 10,000 people can easily, 11,000 people can easily be targeted on Facebook in Michigan in order to not vote, vote for Jill Stein, write in you know, Mickey Mouse, or just sit home. So uh, it, it, I, I'm just kind of curious, right, in regards to how it is that this is going to be tackled. Because, you know, Facebook, Twitter, they're, they're in the business of making money. Hey, that's just it. Uh, you know, Twitter, Donald Trump can tweet amazingly stupid things, and they still keep his Twitter account going on. You know, uh, uh, Facebook, you know, I mean, they they want to sell ads. They're a publicly traded company as well as I think Twitter now is and maybe not, but I know but Facebook is. So they got to keep up their appearances for their shareholders. You know, I mean, I just, I don't know, folks. I mean, you're going to have to do a better job with discerning your media from now until infinity, honestly. As long as social media exists, that's just my personal opinion. Um, but in the same aspect, you know, I mean, you can always go to sites like the Purple Wars Press and actually get real media, real news and, and, and unfake news um, by, you know, bookmarking it and, and visiting it on a daily basis. That's just my opinion. I don't think it's going to get any better. I think all this talk, 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 talk is BS. And in the same aspect, we'll still be facing the same thing come election 2018. That's just my strong opinion at this point. I had to uh, highlight in the second hour a couple of Michigan-based stories that, honestly, um, you need to know. And, and one that, honestly, is getting up under my neck. You know, it's making hairs come up in my nose, uh, to say the very least, you know, like growing hairs. Now, we have a uh, leader, uh, the, the Senate, state Senate majority leader. His name is Alan Meekoff. And Mr. Meekoff wants to push private police forces under a new plan. Yes, you heard me correct. Now, <laughs> they want to privatize your law enforcement folks. I would say they, as in the, at least this guy, um, and I'm assuming whoever is bagging this bill with him, uh, Republicans in, in, in Lansing want to privatize 
your local police force. They want to make sure that they have no benefits and possibly get paid, what, 10 bucks an hour in order to protect you from, you know, the next, I'll just say it, white male terrorist that may decide to go into a hotel and basically shoot down in the ground. You know, I mean, understand because in Las Vegas, that was the Las Vegas Metro Politan Police Force. You know, they're unionized. They have benefits. They get paid a, a decent salary to go put their lives on the line. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, this is the Senate Majority Leader in Michigan that want to change all that for Michigan. I'm going to read a part of this article. Uh, and this is by Jonathan Osling. Michigan would authorize a new class of private and potentially for-profit police agencies with full arrest powers under legislation proposed by the Michigan Senate Majority Leader Aaron Meekoff. The West Iowa Republican took testimony on a two-bill package Tuesday in the Senate Governmental Operations Committee, where he and other supporters argued Private forces could supplement public law enforcement agencies and freedom to focus on high-impact crime. Like, they can't do that now. Okay, moving on. The legislation would allow for corporations, yes, corporations, uh, associations, uh school districts, mm, and other entities to contract with private police agencies to provide services for a specific time, or in a specific geographical area. So like, you know, where you live at, quote unquote. There is a challenge and a problem in law enforcement, said former Grand Rapids Police Chief Harry Dolan, who now runs a consultant firm in North Carolina, which allows private police forces. (laughs) Yeah, I bet you he'd think it would be a problem. He wants to make some cash. Uh, Next quote. We are working with fewer resources and facing a greater need than ever before. The proposal before you is common sense and financially prudent response to that problem. End quote from the guy that owns a consulting firm in North Carolina that used to be a former Grand Rapids police chief, uh, which in North Carolina they allow private police forces. I'm just saying that because you need to know where that quote is coming from. Back to the article. The legislation was panned by current law enforcement officials. Of course it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Who say they are concerned by the proposed transparency and training requirements. A private officer would not have to undergo a background check if he or she was listed by the state as a law enforcement officer within the past previous two years. So, like, if they got fired, and they actually wanted to go and go work for the privatized police force. And we don't even know why it is they got fired. Guess what? They could be guarding you in your community for your quote unquote health and safety. Yeah. Chew on that a little bit. Moving on. That's another quote article here. Quote, quote, some level. It feels like we're creating a black water for the police in the state of Michigan. Said how chief of police, George Bassar a past president of the Michigan Association of Chief of Police. It almost feels like we're putting together a mercenary force to police some of our communities. Yeah, Chief Basser, that's exactly what this bill would do. Back to the article. Now, Mikoff called uh, Basser's comments, quote, unquote, out of line, pointing to the various accountability standards proposed in the legislation. 
<sighs> okay, I'm keep reading. And he said that it will be built around a, oh, 1968 state law allowing private security police agencies with limited misdemeanor arrest authority. What year is this now? It is 2017. There is more people in Michigan. And Lord knows there's more violent crime. So why is he bringing up a 1968 law? <laughs> no. Back to the article. Now, Michigan has 14 licensed uh, private agencies under the old law, the, uh, including forces ran by the Detroit Medical Center and the Henry Ford Health System, the Detroit Public Schools, and General Motors Corporation. Mikov declined to tell reporters who's pushing, pushing that new legislation he wants to do, which would open up the door to, additionally, private police agencies and broader arrest powers, saying that that's not, yo, here we go now, folks, this is funny, quote, unquote, according to Michigan State Majority Leader Mikov, that is not public information yet. You have no right to know, public. John Q, Mary Q, public. He's pushing his legislation. Again, that is the state Senate Majority Leader Aaron Meekoff, but you don't have no right to know who's bagging him pushing this legislation. Don't that make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside? It should not. Moving back to the article, the Michigan legislature is not subject to public records requests under the State Freedom of Information Act. Critics questions whether the private police forces would also be exempt. But Meekoff said that it is his intent that it will be subject to the public disclosure law and indicated he's wanting to change the legislation to ensure that is the case. Uh-huh. Now, the top lawmaker in the GOP-led Senate said, quote-unquote, a number of people are asking for a private police force legislation, including corporations and homeowners associations and large condominium complexes. Uh, Uh, Now, Kimberly Budden, policy counsel for the American Civil Liberties Union of Michigan, raised a number of legal concerns with the proposal and told legislators it would exacerbate inequality in the access of public safety. We should not pass this legislation that is going to determine a community's public safety solely based on what they are able to afford, um, Ms. Budden said. Instead, we should be investing more in our law enforcement agencies. Two, more training. Two, more officers. Two, allowing the officers that are doing work to do it better rather than outsourcing this to private agencies. <laughs> that makes all types of sense. Now, supporters said the private police agencies could provide services at malls and other retail areas where there's a high uh, prosperity of low-level crimes, such as shoplifting and stolen cars and minor traffic collisions. Quote unquote, and this is back to someone else. Uh, such a police typically uh, argument not replace the existing police, said Ron Taylor of Blue Ridge Public Safety, a private police force in North Carolina. Why are these people from North Carolina trying to tell us what to do in Michigan? That's the second one in this article. Back to the quote. Uh, special police typically uh, handle matters that, while important, often drain resources of the regular police agency. Uh, what? Uh, don't leave hate taxes for that? Uh, what the hell is this? What's his name? Ron Taylor of the Ridge Public Safety Private Police Force in North Carolina 
saying about police agencies in Michigan that I guess they're getting resources drained from regular police agencies because he thinks the police able to handle that better. Sound like some gibberish. Moving back to the article. Nothing call for a vote or set date for some hearing. No, that's right. Ain't going fast. But he said that he personally the bill and referred him to his home. And here's the reason, quote unquote. It even people or gets done legislation to cover mental operations committee. I find a way to get this done. <laughs> no, you won't. because the state police is never going to agencies. Actually, you know, they're never going to allow for private. Never going to allow. Allow for privatized police agencies. Oh, I says that's the right there, Josh, and the state police in Michigan. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So, yeah, count that stupid situation that people that, you know, get paid $74,500 a year plus for beat yeah, I'm like, uh, what's his name? Senate Majority Leader Eric Goff does because, you know, you cannot know who actually acts in the legislation, he pushed it anyway because he has nothing else better to do. Next. Oh, I mean, I, you know, I just, that's so sad. I uh, actually talk about um, Las Vegas now. Senator Diane Feinstein wants to ban caught bump. Let's play this clip so you why it is that she wants to ban it? Because, you know, like, you know, some Americans haven't. White military assisted those people in Vegas and killed 58 of them and maimed at least between 100 and 527 people. That, uh, you know, we don't need folks like him. Definitely haven't. You, you think? What it is that she thinks that should be and video starting now. We are introducing a bill today with 26 co-sponsors, and it has to do with the stock and with this particular bump stock device that's easy to put on these weapons. We have now witnessed the deadliest mass shooting in United States history. Nearly 60 killed and more than 500 injured. Those numbers are simply stunning. In just nine minutes, an individual was able to turn a concert venue into a battlefield. One person, nine minutes, utter devastation. We now know the shooter had at least 23 weapons, we all know that a dozen of those semi-automatic rifles were outfitted with what are called bump stock devices. Bump stocks, which cost less than $200, increase a semi-automatic rifle's rate of fire from between 45 and 60 rounds per minute to between 400 and 800 rounds per minute. That's the same rate of fire as automatic weapons. 
And the only reason to modify a gun is to kill as many people as possible in as short a time as possible. There's a long history of laws to ensure civilians don't have automatic weapons. Strict laws were put in place after the St. Valentine's Day Massacre in 1929 when Thompson submachine guns were used to kill seven gangsters in Chicago. And in 1986, a law was signed that banned all new machine guns for civilians and put in place extremely strict regulations on existing automatic weapons. However, there was a loophole. These bump stock devices, which were likely used in Las Vegas, show anyone how to modify a legal semi-automatic weapon so it can function much like a fully automatic weapon. It would ban the sale, transfer, importation. Our bill is simple and straightforward. Ban manufacturing or possession of accessories that accelerate a semi-automatic rifle's rate of fire to that of an automatic uh, weapon. And it was part of the last assault weapons bill we did. Uh, Senator Murphy and I co-sponsored that. And I should say, I was hoping that more of our members would be here. We have 26 Democrats in less than an hour, but I'm delighted Senator Blumenthal and Senator Sanders are here. So those who violate the ban would be subject to the same penalties as those who illegally possess machine guns. Closing this loophole actually should not be a partisan or political issue. There's been broad agreement for decades that automatic weapons should not be legal. And what we saw was an automatic weapon being used. And my understanding is that he had 12 of these devices or similar devices in that hotel room. Some have said we shouldn't do this now. We should wait. Now is not the time. Ladies and gentlemen, when is the time going to be there? There is no better way to honor the 59 people who were slaughtered than to take action, take action to prevent this from happening yet again. If not, when will we ever do it? After Columbine, I thought we would act. After Virginia Tech, I thought we would act. After Tucson, when one of our colleagues was shot in the head and nearly killed, I thought we would act. After Aurora, that horrible thing in the movie theater, I thought we would act. And particularly after Sandy Hook, when 21st graders were slaughtered, I thought for sure we would act. After Orlando, I thought we would act. And now after Las Vegas, I hope senators will finally summon the political courage to stand up and say enough is enough. We can't sit by this deadliest mass shooting. It is really time for action. We cannot do nothing. Hi, everyone. Most entrepreneurs and small business owners, it's the very thing that always seems to be in short supply. Tons to do, never enough time to get it all done. The good news is that our friends over at FreshBooks feel your pain and have created something to help you reclaim some of your precious time. 
FreshBooks is the simple invoicing solution that lets you create and send slick professional-looking invoices in seconds. Oh, and invoicing is just the beginning. FreshBooks will also make managing your expenses, staying on top of who owes you what, and tracking your time the easiest part of your day. If your business keeps you constantly on the move, not to worry. The FreshBooks mobile app can keep up. You can use the camera on your phone to capture your receipts while you watch FreshBooks magically create your expense reports for you. If you do have questions, contact the award-winning FreshBooks support team and get help from real-life humans. No phone tree, no less we escalate that, no I will get back to you, just helpful service at the drop of a hat. So, to try FreshBooks free for 30 days, just go to www.gofreshbooks.com forward slash IU Radio Network. Again, www.gofreshbooks.com forward slash IU Radio Network. And enter Independent Underground News and Talk into the How Did You Hear About Us section. Don't be part of the problem. Be part of the solution. And call Independent Underground Radio Live. Hello! 347-934-0185 is your instant invitation to crash the political party. Hello! Be involved. Be passionate. But don't be an abusive dork brain. Aw, shut up, you dumb jerk face. 347-934-0185 Call now. Welcome back to Independent Underground Radio Live again. 347-934-0185. You can also tweet to us. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Um, at IU Radio Network. Again, at IU Radio Network. Let us know what you think about today's episode. Give us a shout out on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash IU Radio Network. Now, Okay, so we uh, let you know about a really stupid bill uh, on behalf of uh, the Senate Majority Leader in the state of Michigan, uh, Aaron Meekoff, that wants to privatize police police forces in your community. That's a stupid bill. Now, and we also let you know about how Senator Diane Feinstein uh, from the great state of California would like to ban the bumpy stocks or bump stocks. That helps the, uh, I'm not naming the dude. I just know his name to me is White Male Terrorist. I know what his name is. I ain't, I ain't saying it. White Male Terrorist that shot uh, and shot at 2,000 people, injuring 58 of them, no, killing 58 of them, injuring anywhere between 489 to 527, depending on, on the ever-changing number of folks. And honestly, mentally probably injured everybody plus everybody in Vegas that night. Uh, how she would like to ban the bump stock that helped him uh, shoot up, I'm assuming, anywhere near to 1,000 rounds on people in 9 to 11 minutes or more. So, yeah, we'll, we'll be looking more into that legislation, I can tell you that much. Now, let's change the subject a little bit to good bills in Michigan, or at least talks or proposals or chatting or whatever else have you. This story came out today in the Detroit News, and I think it's important. It says mass turnover fuels push for Michigan term limit reform. Oh, my God. Do we have a, a, a hand clap? I need a hand. Somebody finally say 
saying that we cannot just keep going through this turnover, you know, I mean, just like six years in the state house, eight years in the Senate. It's uh, beyond, beyond. The story is by Jonathan Ostling also. Now, Michigan, fifth in the nation, term women's law will force nearly 70% of state senators out of office in 2019 and more than 20% of uh, state house representatives. A mass turnover that is fueling renewed interest in reform. The Michigan Chamber of Commerce, a inferential business group with significant financial resources, is considering a push for an amendment to the state constitution that would focus on revising term limits. Michigan law, approved by 59% of voters in 1992, limits legislatures to serving three two-year terms in a state house, and told that total six years, and four, I'm sorry, two four-year terms in the Senate, or eight years. Now, while the details are still being worked out, the potential agreement would also propose other changes to improve, quote unquote, the effectiveness, accountability, and transparency of the Michigan legislature, said the chamber CEO and President Rich Sudley. Now, Scott Tillman, uh, the National Field Director of U.S. Term Limits, said his group would oppose any efforts, of course he would, um, to change Michigan's rules, make them more flexible, arguing that the legislature and the state chambers should keep their hands off of a law that voters chose to enact. Almost now what we're talking about. 30 years ago, like laws don't get changed in that period of time, ever. Okay. Scott Tillman, can you go back to wherever you came from? Because you're another one that's probably from Michigan. Just like homeboy from North Carolina talking about we need to privatize our police forces because it will give him more dollars. Uh, the quote, 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 we want people in there who have real life experiences under the laws that passed, Tillman said. We want teachers and reporters and farmers and truck drivers and even attorneys. And all those people are there now. Um, but the point is that they, they're, they're getting ready to, they come in, they learn the job, right? That's like year 1.5. And then like between year uh, like 1.6 to like give or take about 3.7, they're actually, no, that's too much. 1.6, yeah, I said that right, 3.7. They actually maybe are doing the job. And then from there, they're worried about, what type of job they're going to do because six years is short. And so, yeah. And then also in all that time, every like year of those, you know, every skipping year, you know, skip a year, next year, skip a year, next year, they're also running for reelection. So how focused are they on actually doing the job? <laughs> yeah. Moving back to the article. Uh, I'm just saying, I'm just saying it's, Term limits remain popular with the voting public, but critics say Michigan rules have thrust inexperienced legislatures uh, into a complex policy rules that they may be ill-equipped to address. Well, where's the clapping again? Um, yeah, that. Yeah, we need more clapping. <laughs> Unlikely to extend 
extend or repeal term limits, but may instead allow legislatures to serve longer in the state house or senate. Now, in other words, so back to Tim. No one's saying get rid of Michigan term limits like completely. What we are saying is that we actually just need like legislatures that can actually be there long enough to do their job, learn about legislation, and actually get well at their job before they are bounced out for the next inexperienced person that's going to come in to learn the job, just know how to do the job just well enough for they're getting bounced out for the next person. I mean, Tillman, do you get it now? Okay, moving on. Uh, this is what the CEO of the Michigan Chamber of Commerce says. That's Mr. Sully. Uh, leadership really matters and experience really matters. I don't know about you, but whether I'm looking for a haircut or auto repairs, I don't deliberately seek out people who have less than six years experience and don't plan on doing it very long. Another hand clap. I mean, this is, I mean, I'm agreeing with it. Paper. <laughs> You know, every now and then. Okay, so Michigan allows for legislatures to serve a combined 14 years in both chambers and is one of six states with a lifetime ban on additional service. Now, nine other states let legislatures sit out for a period of time, usually two years, and then run again. 35 states do not have any legislative term limits. So, we are, this is quote, quote, we are the Dracolian term limit states. They're Mary Jo Sambaugh Thompson, a Wayne State University science professor and the co-author of Implementing Term Limits, the case of the Michigan legislature. Her research suggests that Michigan term limits have either failed to deliver on many of the quote-unquote good government promises that appeal to citizens. <laughs> yeah, uh, state legislatures have become politically minded. Ah, they have. Since the term limits have took effect, she said, because they serve fewer years and they often enter enter office thinking about what job they'll run for next. Oh my God! It, I, I have this four class in this article. Four. Four. According to her. Uh, and make sure I have her name right. Go back up a little bit again. What's her name? Uh, Massage Bass Thompson, quote unquote. They have one eye on that clock, on that time instead of thinking. I really need to fix this problem because we're gonna, it's going to come back and haunt me, she said. More of them need to tell us uh, they plan on a career in politics after term limits than said so before. Uh, that's true for men and women both. Now, the Michigan Chamber Board voted Wednesday to contact other individuals and groups to see if there's enough organizational and financial support, I'll donate, to push the term limits reform amendment, which would uh, uh, require voters' approval on the 2018 ballot. Now, they have an ally in the Michigan Senate. Oh, my God. Now, see, this is, isn't this amazing how Meekoff can kind of, he, he's like, you know, the so-called leader. <laughs> Maybe he's a Gemini. Um where Majority Leader Aaron Meekoff has called term limits a failed social experiment and also privatizing police forces, Mr. Meekoff. Yeah. Moving on. Arguing that the uh, rules discourage long-term planning and prudent decision-making at the state capitol, 
Uh, but Patrick Anderson, who wrote the state term limits amendment and now runs the Anderson Economic Group Firm at East Lansing, believes that the chamber effort will, quote unquote, persuade them that a vast majority of citizens are not interested in fixing the portion of the state constitution that's not broken, end quote. According to Mr. Anderson, the basic message is that uh, citizens have given their government is for 200 years now that to have a legislator full of people who represent citizens, he said, to do that effectively, you will want to make sure those legislatures are periodically drawn from the citizenry. And term limits ensure that no one's talking about getting rid of term limits. We're talking about just making it longer. <laughs> what are these people talking about? Oh, Lord. Okay, last thing, because I can't keep reading this article. A U.S. term limit, Spillman, said that the rules should favor getting more individuals involved in legislative decision-making. Quote, unquote, from Tillman, who doesn't live here. Uh, we don't want to be strictly a place where a bunch of people with incumbents have a vantage to lock a system and are the only ones who can get elected and make decisions for state. Freshman legislatures now come to Lansing with real-world experience, but not always applicable for the major issues facing the state, Sudley said. Uh, he noted that at least seven state House uh, policy committees are shared by first-term lawmakers this year. Term limits would affect the Michigan Senate next year more than any other legislative body, according to analysis by Ballotpedia. Of the 38 state senators now in office, 26. 26 of them are barred from seeking re-election in 2018. In the state house, 24 of the 110 seats will be vacated due to term limits, and that's 21.8% turnover rate in the nation's second highest of any state house. Now, uh, Mika Off, again, the Senate Appropriations Chairman, Dave Handerman, a Republican of Laos, and the House Speaker, uh, Tom Leonard, a Republican of DeWitt, are among the top legislatures who cannot seek re-election. Re mm -mm. Okay. Okay, back to the article. Uh, naturally, Michigan is about 50, has a home to about 15% of all lawmakers who would lose their jobs because of tournament limits of site. Uh, that said Rob Oatman of Ballopedia State Project. Uh, and now, according to him, this is pretty big. Uh, the same thing happened in 2010 where you had up to 25 per, uh, in the Senate and 34 term limited in the House. And then in 2016, you had another 38 term limited in the House, end quote. So this is a long article. But here, here, here's the point, okay? Michigan's term limits are ridiculous, okay? I mean, in regards to the amount of time, six years in the House, eight years in the Senate. We need to stretch that out. No one's talking about getting rid of term limits. We need to stretch that out and allow for 10 years term limit in the House and 12 years term limit in the Senate. I mean, that's just, we're just adding on like four and like four. You know what I'm saying? No one's saying let's get rid of term limits. No one's saying that. No one. No one. So supporting weirdly the Michigan Chamber of Commerce on this one and and yeah this is different but we'll see where this goes and we'll report on it here on Independent on the Ground Radio Live we'll, we'll definitely keep you updated that's for darn sure now I want to play this uh click quick clip uh yeah this was 13 minutes but I'm not going to play that one I wanted to play the uh, mayor of uh, San Juan Puerto Rico uh and that is Carmen 
cruise. Now, you know, again, the so-called leader of the United States went down to Puerto Rico, and this is what she thought about his visit. Dave Live. And joining us now is San Juan Mayor Carmen Julian Cruz. Madam Mayor, thank you very much for your time tonight. I really appreciate talking with you. Thank you for having me. And so the most important question, of course, is how is your city doing? Um, how is the response progressing? Uh, well, uh, ever since last Thursday, things started picking up uh, a lot because of, of private donations. People have overcome with uh, solidarity and Chicago, uh, Illinois, uh, Miami Beach, Los Angeles, New York, Boston, uh, private organizations and non-governmental organizations like Operation Blessing have just been bringing loads and loads of food and water. And I have to say that now having the FEMA uh, supplies been brought directly into the municipality uh, has helped a lot. So we have been able to use the FEMA supplies to help other municipalities that have not received anything. Uh, the town of Comerillo, the town of San Lorenzo, we're going to do the same with the town of Villalba, the town of Lares. So these are places in the inner side of the island nation of Puerto Rico where uh, no one has been able to pretty much get. They've been there to assess. They've been there to talk. They've been there to figure out what is going on. But the people keep just lacking water, lacking food, lacking medical attention. There are simple and basic things that we all know we need. But I really felt that the second part of the meetings today with the White House staff were conducive to just sort of uh, bridging the gap between the disconnect of what they say is happening. Uh, by the way, the Pentagon does not agree with their assessment and what really is happening. And, and I think that disconnect is really that gap got closed uh, a lot more by talking to five mayors that were there. And we were able to uh, also propose solutions to some of the logistical problems and issues that have been brought up. Uh, in terms of San Juan, the flooding that we had has, has receded uh, mostly. We are using the uh, ONGs and our churches, faith-based organizations, and the community leaders uh, promoting uh, that we, they start having community kitchens and cooking for 400, 500 people at a time. And we are now, because of the private donations that we've been getting, mixed in with some of the FEMA donations, we have been able to provide people with boxes for one week worth of food. It makes it a lot more efficient. And the, the tentacles of all these organizations, these grassroots organizations, uh, are a big help. Uh, to the municipality. Yeah, and it, it, it sounds like, you know, all of these additional sort of additions to the federal response have really been helpful, but I'm, I'm wondering what you make of the president's sort of response to you today. Um, he assembled this sort of strange round table situation where he went around the room and had people praise the federal response. He did not call on you. There was this moment when the two of you interacted and I think what you said to him, and I'll let you say that, you know, repeat what you said to him, that it's not about politics, but he didn't seem to even respond to you or react to it. What did you make of that? Well, I said to him, it's not about, it's about saving lives it's not about politics, and he didn't respond. But this was a PR 17-minute meeting. There was no exchange with anybody, with none of the mayors. And in fact, this terrible and abominable uh, view of him throwing paper towels and throwing provisions at people, it's really, it, it does not 
embody the spirit of the American nation, you know. Uh, that is not the land of the free and the home of the brave, that uh, the beacon of democracy that people have learned to look up to, uh, you know, across the world. He was insulting to the people of Puerto Rico. He said something like, Puerto Rico, you really have taken our budget out of whack because of all the money we've thrown here. He kind of minimized our suffering here by saying that Katrina was a real disaster, uh, sort of implying that this was not a real disaster because not many people have died here. Well, you know what? They're dying. Uh, they don't have the medical resources. They can't get to their dialysis. Their oxygen tanks are starting not to work because they don't have generators. So hospitals are, are just collapsing because of the generator situation. The diesel doesn't get to where it's supposed to get. Uh, a lot of people are being caged, especially the elderly. And the pictures are there. The news have been uh, a witness to everything that we are saying. Mayors now are starting to talk a lot more about what they are encountering. So, you know, I said this morning that he really has a communication issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's sort of like a miscommunicator in chief. And uh, really, uh, you don't go to another place when people are in peril and are suffering and you just kind of hover around in a helicopter uh, without having uh, some, some kind words to say. It's just common courtesy. courtesy yeah. But his staff, yeah. on the other hand, seem to, seem to want to approach this a different way. Uh, one more quick question, because it, it, when you talk to other mayors um, in Puerto Rico, do, they, do you get the sense that they fear that if they don't, that they have to praise Donald Trump in order to get the full aid and attention that they deserve? Uh, yes, to those that are able to talk to. And the reason is simply one. Most of the people in Puerto Rico do not have any access to a phone. Yeah. Even if they have a phone in their pocket, it doesn't work. So there, this lack of interconnectivity is one of the main and primary reasons why things have not been able to pick up. But by God, you go to Timbuktu, you put in a satellite dish, yeah. and you make communications happen. So these are not logistical things that cannot be resolved. Right. We know they're there. People shouldn't be waiting for somebody to write a form to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, San Juan Mayor Carmen Julien Cruz, thank you so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. And be well. Thank you very much. The best to the people of Puerto Rico. Thank you. We'll be right back. Dave Live. And joining us now is San Juan. Yeah. So, like, okay. So, remember now, we have the so-called leader of the United States, down there throwing paper towels, riding around in a helicopter, you know. Remember that George W. Bush moment when he was riding around in a helicopter um, above Katrina, and it was like, you're doing a heck of a job, browning type of thing. Remember, remember, remember. Yeah. Even George Bush didn't throw paper towels at people. Even George W. Bush. Yeah, but it's, I mean, I, I got to say, well, it's great to hear that uh, grassroots, um, along with uh, the people of FEMA that's actually trying to do their job, and that general that's now down there, are, are working with the uh, San, uh, San Juan, uh, Mayor Cruz, um, and, and the different provinces, 
inside of Puerto Rico, that U.S. territory of U.S. citizens, uh, in order to try and get the citizens some relief. Um, that's a really, really good thing. And as for, you know, that person that causes self the leader, <laughs> well, what can we say? It's another three years and how many months now? It's October. Uh, three years, two months, and give or take about 20, oh, got to add 20 days in, in oh, January. Oh, sick. Okay, so give or take about 42 days, you know, um, unless he's impeached, which probably won't happen, by the way. So, like, yeah, we got to deal with this for a minute. Just make sure he's not voted back again. How about that, folks? How about that? How about that? Wouldn't that be amazing? We have a real president, you know, like a real one again. I mean, even George Bush was a real president. But this so-called thing that we have inside the White House, come on now. Come on. Come on. Come on. Seriously. Seriously. I think it's like 56% of the American public like are embarrassed by him. Count me into that 56%. Embarrassed. Another 20% like what in the world is going on? And the other 30% are just plain, I don't, what's that, what's that thing that the dentist gives you when you go, a laughing gas. They, they are having a lot of laughing gas because they obviously cannot see that this man is totally not capable of being president of the United States. You know, I think um, uh, Senator uh, Bob Corker, uh, who he's a Republican, okay? And and he's, he won't be running and he decided he just can't take it no more being a Republican uh, and, and working in the Senate uh, with Trump in office. Um, Bob Corker, Bob Corker, yes, Bob Corker. Uh, yes, him, that guy. Uh, suggested on Wednesday, and this was in regards to uh, State of uh, Secretary of State Tillerson, right? Saying what he really thought about Trump being a moron, right? And, and Tillerson's trying to do his job, and Trump's trying to undermine the man while he's trying to make sure we don't go to World War Three with North Korea. Yeah, Bob Corker suggested on Wednesday that General Kelly and James Mattis, as well as Secretary of State Rex Citizen, are the, quote-unquote, people that help separate our country from chaos. He ain't running again, but I mean, maybe he might flip and be a Democrat. I don't know. I'm just saying. You know, independent. Um, uh, a stinging criticism of President Donald Trump, the man he once considered an ally in Washington. Well, <laughs> times change. People's attitude change. Uh, also, uh, when Corker was asked directly by a reporter whether he was referring to Trump using the word chaos, Corker, who announced last month that he's going to retire, responded, Mattis, Ke Kelly, and Titterson work very well together to make sure that the policies we put forth around the world are sound and coherent. And there are other people in the administration that don't. Because they're valuable to the nation's security. Uh huh. I wonder who Corker was talking to when he said there's other people in the administration that don't. I really do think Corker was talking about that so called leader and no way else. Uh, yeah. Mm hmm. So, yeah, that is what 
some folks in his own party thinks about that guy. Yeah. And Rex Tillerson, okay, moron man, if you just use that term, I know you didn't deny, you're not denying of calling the so-called leader of the White House a moron, gave a lot of us regular folks just to sitting around thinking this every day and saying it amongst our friends and in our fellows, a lot of joy, a lot of joy, because Lord knows you were telling the truth. I'm just saying. Okay. Uh, we're winding down today's show. So before I leave, I just wanted to play, make sure that you get our app. So wanted to give you that information if you would like to get a version of our app. And then we're going to go ahead and get into the last minute of the show. Show your support for the Independent Underground Radio Network, which has been podcasting strong since 2010 with over 4.5 million downloads and over 700 episodes with our affiliate network of shows, including Constitutionally Speaking with host Autumn Smith, Third Wave Feminism with host Jenny and Diane, Penny's Politics with host Penny Sequoia, and our flagship show, Independent Underground Radio Live with host Monica R.W. So how can you show that support? By going to get the Independent Underground Radio Network app for just $2.99 at Google Play or the Apple Store. Just go and put in the search for Independent Underground Radio Network on Google Play or at the Apple Store and download a version of our app in order to have all of our affiliate network of shows right on your phone, your tablet, computer, or whenever you want to listen to them by streaming live of the Independent Underground Radio Network. Remember, just go to Google Play or the Apple Store. Search for Independent Underground Radio Network and download a version of our app on your phone for just $2.99 today and show your support for the best in independent life political anywhere in the world at the Independent Underground Radio Network. Thank you for continuing and getting to the end of our show, listening to Independent Underground Radio Live for today. Uh, again, today is Wednesday, October 4th, 2017. We want to make sure that we give a thank you to Jeff Brown, who appeared in our first hour as our guest from the Purple Wars Press, talking about basically why it is important to have citizen journalists in this era of hypermedia and, you know, fake news and them citizen journalists make sure you have real news. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to that interview in the first hour, you can always go back after the end of today's show, which will be give or take about 15 minutes or now. And you can go and listen to the archive file here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. You can also subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to our show on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio and Player FM. But the best way to do it is just to get a version of our app. Uh, you can go on Google Play or the Apple Store, put an independent underground or a radio network for $2.99 and one charge, by the way. Uh, you can have our app on your phone and listen to all of the shows on the Independent Ground Radio Network, which is great because it helps support our host. Now, also wanted to let you know that we will have a new show starting tomorrow. It's about time with Alex Thomas is actually going to be replacing. Uh, and I'm so sad about this, constitutionally speaking, with Autumn Smith. But Autumn will be back uh, in the a little bit, but we miss Autumn and we cannot wait for her to come back on the Independent Around Radio Network. So make sure that you listen in tomorrow to It's About Time with host 
Alex Thomas. And then, of course, on Sunday, Third Wave Feminism with Jenny and Diane at 3 o'clock Central Standard Time. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to Penny's Politics yesterday, which comes on every Tuesday at 9 o'clock, make sure to listen to Penny's Politics uh, here on the Independent Radio Network. Last but not least, make sure you tweet us today and let us know what you thought about our show at IU Radio Network and also on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash IU Radio Network. Until next Wednesday at 9 o'clock, have a great and wonderful week. In the B-Boy dance, I'm in the smog all alone. We are brought to you, officer. You want gun eye? No eye. Gun too hot for eye. Go to my mom, then I.